track of the episode number uh it's vince coming to you live uh also here joined by ty in the studio i am at my humble abode in fox chase philadelphia seamus uh had uh, seamus has strep throat or some kind of life-threatening illness uh so everyone everyone pray for pray for seamus uh pat ran into some problems but as usual i am here honestly this is making up for the fact that i missed a couple of shows with seamus and pat uh, so I am here to, you know, carry the show on its back. You know, me and Ty, we've done a solo show a couple weeks ago, and we're back to do another one. That's just the way it goes. Um, exactly, because even when I, even when I, even when they can't make it, I still show up, you know. So I do what I can. But um, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't open the show talking about something that Seamus would be talking about. And that is the Phillies uh, GM, Dave Dombrowski, basically coming out and saying that they've had conversations with Bryce and just around the team that Bryce will be playing first base going forward and basically saying that they will be looking to move on from Reese Hoskins. Um, I mean, if you've listened to this podcast before, I'm sure that every episode has some kind of Reese Hoskins uh, segment. So if you've listened to this podcast before, you know our feelings on Reese Hoskins. And I think that, like, just to reiterate, like, he's a good player, not a great player, who can give you 25-plus homers a year, but gets very streaky. And when he's cold, he's very cold. His defense is abysmal. But, like, he seems like a good guy. And I, I get that point to why people love him so much. But we've mentioned on this podcast before, I've never seen an athlete at his level, which in my opinion is like pretty mid to average, you know, kind of the same thing. But like, I've never seen a player at that level have the cult-like fan base that he has. I have seen some unhinged rants on Twitter today from Phillies fans that are really just Reese Hoskins cultists talking about how their lives are now changed and nothing will ever be the same. And they're going to have to follow Reese wherever he goes. It's, it's honestly bewildering because for people that actually watch Phillies and watch baseball, like you'll see what I'm saying. Now you might say that we're a little harsh on them and like, maybe, maybe it's a bit, but like, I also don't see where people overinflating his value are coming from. Because again, you have people that at the trade deadline this year talked about how they would not give up or not, not give up, but like uh, we should not acquire Paul Goldschmidt because it might hurt Reese's feelings. Like people, People overinflate his worth, his value, his feelings like a little too much. I get it. He's a guy that was grown organically in the system here. You know, him and Nola were those kind of two first guys. But now you have guys like Bohm and uh, Stott. And I know he didn't come from our farm system, but even Marsh, who's a young guy, like you got other young guys to t- hit your wagon to. Reese Hoskins is not the best one, but. Uh, Yeah, right. He was he was fine. Like not a bad ball player, uh, unless you're talking about defense. Because strictly defense, he was ter- horrific in both left. I think left field or right field, wherever he played, and first base, he's been horrific. But you know what's funny? Like Ty, I do agree with your overall point about the Nick Foles stands. But at least they have something to fall back on. At least they could be like, he won us a Super Bowl. Like they're still wrong, but at least they have that justification. What's the justification for these Reese Hoskins people? Oh, that he came up from the major or the minors in that first year, like half the season he played, he went ballistic. Like, yeah, that's awesome. But like since then he's had very, I wouldn't say very high highs, like pretty high highs. Like, you know, the spike, the bat spike in the fucking NLCS. And he's at very low lows, like the World Series. So like, but the, the Nick Foles people, I, I don't, I never understood them either because it's like, 
dude, objectively speaking, from an Eagles fan for life here, Nick Foles had one good season as an Eagles starter, which was that year he threw 27 touchdowns and two interceptions or whatever. I forget what year that exactly was. That was a great year. And then it was nothing but mid for the rest of his Eagles uh, tenure that first time around. Then he left and was very bad for the most part. Then he came back and randomly pulled two of the best quarterback games out of his ass that I've ever seen. And then he kind of went back to being mid the next year. I mean, he got benched for a very injured Wentz. Uh, and then when he did come back later in the year, a lot of people put the Saints loss on Alshon Jeffrey because, yes, that ball went right through his hands. But people just kind of forget that Nick Foles opened the game with a touchdown drive, I believe, and then from then on, nothing happened offensively for the Eagles in that game. So I always thought that was like more on Foles than it was on Alshon Jeffrey for one play when Nick Foles played kind of like shit for three and a half quarters. Um, but yeah, there. I don't know, Philadelphia, is it Philadelphia or is it other places that people grow these weird infatuations with players that aren't that good? And I'm not saying Nick Foles. I'm talking about Reese Hoskins here. I, I don't understand it. I think the, the, the Eagles, I think the Phillies are making the right decision here by – uh, sticking with Bryce at first, because Bryce has shown to be a better first baseman, and it's not like Bryce had a lot of time to learn the position or prepare for it necessarily. I mean, I'm sure that he's, you know, done it before or whatever, but, like, he he took to it pretty pretty nicely. I mean, I, I can think of a couple errors he got here and there and, you know, plays he should have made, but, like, for a guy that's starting at first base for the first time in his professional league career, like, he picked up pretty well and he was better than Reese Hoskins at first base defensively. I don't even see how that would be a debate people could have. So I'm excited to see Bryce continue to play at first. Um, also, another aspect of it is if you bring back Reese and, you know, you have to mess with Bryce at first, like what happens because then you have to take either, you know, if, if you have Bryce out in the, uh, in the outfield, you know, who's DHing because, like, you don't want Kyle Schwarber out in the – in the outfield. You want to avoid that at all costs. Um, but yeah, I think good move by the Phillies. We'll see what they do as far as, you know, other moves, but that they can take those resources that they probably would have put into Reese Hoskins and then they can allocate that into yeah. a position of need, or I, I guess in, I guess following the theme of the Phillies for the past two, three seasons, just get another bat that can go, that can go, that can hit home yeah, runs. Get another guy that can hit a million homers. Or I'm hoping they target pitching. I mean, I know that they picked up a pitcher who I'm not that familiar with the other day. I've heard, like, Sonny Gray rumors that they're interested in. But, like, I I, I just don't – I don't know. I, I'm happy with the decision to move away from Reese uh, just because, like, there's other – like, for example, uh, here's something I'll talk about because this surely would have been talked about if Seamus was here. Seamus had a tweet earlier. Uh, I forget the exact – uh, specifics of it, but it was some way that the Phillies should work on acquiring Pete Alonso instead of uh, Reese Hoskins, which, you know, for I'm not necessarily for that because we have Bryce for first, but just saying what Seamus put out there, he got so many replies being attacked by people about how Pete Alonso is the biggest dork. I don't want him anywhere near my locker room. And Pete Alonso is a loser from a losing franchise. I don't want him anywhere near my locker room. Pete Alonso will come in and ruin the culture. Like, okay, is Pete Alonso a weirdo and a bit of a dork? Absolutely. You saw what he was doing after the fucking home run derby. I don't know if it was last season or the season before, but yes, the dude is weird. He is a dork. But we're talking about moves to acquire good baseball players. Pete Alonso is a very good baseball player, despite what you might think about him and if he's weird. He is a better first baseman than Reese Hoskins at the plate and in the field. And as far as the whole, he'll ruin the whole culture of the locker room or the vibes, like, oh, dude, he's, he's weird. He's not like a fucking terrorist. Like, people, people are acting like he's like this piece of shit who's going to ruin the vibes in the locker room. Guys, He's just a little weird. I hate the Mets just as much as the next guy in Philadelphia, but, like, I think people are – this is why you don't run teams with emotion. Like, you're not supposed to do that. You go and you get the guys that are good. And I'm not saying this should be a move the Eagles should – the Eagles, I keep saying that. The Phillies should pursue, but in this scenario, Seamus laid out, I don't understand why people wouldn't want Pete Alonso. I mean, it, it, it's got to be a Philly thing at this point. Not only, you know, what you said earlier – but it almost seems like we just want guys that are just 
Philly made and Philly tough and grit and they have to be exactly like Philly. That's not necessarily the case. I don't understand the infatuation with this city and its players when it comes to that gritty guy. Like just because a guy doesn't necessarily walk and talk like us, like now all of a sudden who you're considered cares? outsiders. Like who like you said, who cares? You come in, you produce for my teams, I'm gonna love you. Right. I don't care if you pander to us, if you don't pander to us, as long as you don't like treat us like shit like a like a Scott Rowland back in the day did. Like I don't care. If you go out there and you contribute to winning, you know, baseball, football, basketball, whatever the sport may be, I don't care if you are like that gritty guy. I don't – it doesn't matter to me at all, and I, I don't know why people are so infatuated with that. Like, don't get me wrong. It's nice when you have it, but, like, it's not necessary to, to, to win. Most like most teams don't have that, and it's okay. That's not always the recipe for winning. Um, I don't know why something you just said made me think of this, but – I made this confession in a group chat the other day, and I want to know, I'm going to ask you and all the people that listen to this podcast if I'm stupid for this. But as a child, I don't know what age it was up until, but there was a day where I realized, I found out for the first time that all of the players that play for a team in a city, I used to think as a kid that they were all from that city. So I grew up thinking I grew up thinking like Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, and Chase Utley were Philly guys. And then I don't remember how old I was, but one day I realized that they were not from Philadelphia. And honestly it broke my heart. I was I was down so bad when I found that out as a child. I don't know if that's like something that no one else did or if anyone else had the same beliefs growing up, but I I was distraught the day that I found that out. I can tell you between me and you, you were definitely the only one that uh, was distraught about that. I didn't give a damn, all right? I, I wanted championships, plural. I was getting sick and tired of, you know, my friends up in Boston winning every single fucking championship day, year oh, in yeah. and year out around the time when I was growing up. So I was like, man, I don't give a damn. Where are you from? Just come in with me a goddamn title. That's all I care about. I just I just thought that they – I was like, oh, they grew up in Philly and now, like, they're playing for the Phillies, like – that's so awesome. Like, that'll be me one day. And then I found out, you know, Chase Utley was from, like, what, like, California or some shit? And I was like, oh, that sucks. But, no, nah, that's just something stupid I thought as a child. But, all in all, Philly's uh, offseason will be fun to follow, I'm sure. I'm sure that when Reese actually gets moved, I'm sure his cult-like fan base on Twitter will have a totally rational response to that and not be drastic or dramatic about it at all. I'm sure they won't be. But uh, when that day comes, I'm sure we'll have a great podcast. It'll be very funny, I promise you that. Uh, after the Phillies, the next thing I guess I'll move on to is I, I want to talk about the Sixers before we get to the Eagles because I feel like the Eagles is going to be the brunt of this podcast. But let's get the other things out of the way. So the Sixers, funny enough, Ty, let me tell you something. This is the year where I've most wanted to watch and not been, and least like been able to watch because of uh, my new work schedule and, you know, just not being able to see all of the games. Like I have not been able to see nearly as much as I want. You know, there's other years where I don't want to watch, but I'm watching all the time because like I'm a sicko and, you know, usually the team sucks and I'm like guilty, like hate watching the Sixers. I don't know. But like, of course this year I want to watch so bad and I don't have all the time in the world, but I mean, like, obviously I I read the box scores. I read, you know, beat reporters, uh, you know, following the game and all that kind of stuff and watch highlights. And, you know, sometimes I watch reruns, but and the games I have been able to catch, I mean, the team just looks fun this year. We talked about it a little bit last week, but, like, Nick Nurse's impact is clearly being felt. The players look a little more re-energized. Like, and I just – I know we already talked about the Harden trade, so I'm not going to get into it, but, like, it's just so nice to not have that stink over the franchise. Like, it, it, that's the best part of the trade, man. Like, yes, I'm all for, you know, the first-round picks and the pick swaps and the second-round picks that we were able to acquire. But at the end of the day, the biggest uh, thing we were able to add is that is that uh, we got to get out from under the evil cloud that is James Harden. That's what really matters the most because it, it just opens up so much more for the team. And also, I would have loved to see James Harden on a Nick Nurse coach team. Don't know how that would have worked when he was like, you know, Nick Nurse is drawing up a play in the huddle, and, you know, James is like, excuse me, Nick, I am going to dribble the ball for 18 seconds, and then I will either hit a step back three or I will dish it to someone in the corner and pray they make a three. So that is that is the only play we're running. 
Because I certainly speaking of speaking of James Harden, next time you see Pat and Seamus, you should tell them, hey, listen, guys, guys, here's the thing. Here's the thing about this show. All right. I'm not a system player. All right. I am the system. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> every every podcast before the trade came on where, you know, sometimes I'll be against Pat and Seamus about the whole James Harden thing. I was a little on the fuck James Harden. I want him gone train a little bit before they were. But I tried to tell everybody, everybody that said, oh, he's going to play this year because he he realized that it's a contract year and he needs to, you know, ball out if he wants to get paid again. He needs to do that. He needs to prove himself. How many times have I get on this podcast and say, if you think James Harden actually believes that, you are insane and you are a psycho because James Harden's ego is so inflated that he believes that he has already earned that contract. He doesn't think he needs to go out there and earn it. He, in his mind, has earned it based off the past. And I don't think anything has shown that I am right more than that quote that he gave the other day where he said, I'm not a system player, I am a system. It's so clear that his ego is so inflated and he doesn't see what everyone else sees. The fact that he's washed now. He is not the, I'm not saying he's completely awful, but he's washed compared to what he was. He's not the player he was. Athletically, just shooting the ball, like any, any facet of the game, he's not the player he was. Yes, James, when you were on Houston, you were a system. You weren't a system player. But now, in the year 2023, it's not true. And it just shows how out of touch you are with reality or unwilling to see the truth that is in front of you that all of the rest of the league sees. I mean, dude, did you not see the fact that no other team wanted you? I mean, the Clippers were the only team that wanted you in the whole league. Like, no one stepped up to, you know, make it a more competitive race to get you. It was just the Clippers. And, like, I I don't know. I just think that that quote showed how right I am about his ego because he clearly thinks that he's still the player he once was or he has deluded himself into believing that said that i immediately thought about you and i was like oh my god vince this proves vince's point and i and I, i've always agreed with you especially in terms of james right. harden uh, you can just look back over the course of his career and, and just see how he's played after he left oklahoma city for the most part in oklahoma city there were three superstars so he couldn't be the isolation james harden but once he right. got traded to houston that's when we started seeing isolation james harden throughout the the rest of his career no matter how many superstars they brought into houston from dwight howard to chris paul right uh, thousands of guys they brought in to 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 propel that team and at the end of the day, James Harden was still James Harden. Isolation ball. I'm going to dribble it for about 15 to 18 seconds. And I'm going to throw up a shot or I'm going to drive to the hole, either get fouled or I'm going to put or I'm going to scoop layup. And yeah. once he got to the point in his career where he couldn't do that anymore, as we saw the last couple of seasons, seasons and a half here in, in Philly, we saw what James Harden is now. And it's unfortunate that he doesn't see that. Like, I, I understand, and I can con I can kind of feel a little bit sorry for him that Daryl Morey promised him a certain amount of money, but w the way contracts work, you still have to put in your end of the bargain, and you not yeah. you didn't put up your end of the bargain and perform up to the level that of the money that you demanded. And, and as far as you know, Daryl breaking his promise also about the whole like oh he said he would trade me and he didn't. It's like dude. The whole reason you opted into the contract is because you saw there was no market for you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have signed your player option. You opted in because no one else wanted you. Then you put one team on your list of desired locations and just expect Daryl Murray to basically say, oh, okay, well, we'll just take any piece of trash for in, in, in uh, we'll take any piece of trash in return for our like second best player. Like, you, how can you even be mad at Daryl Morey for that? You could have made his job a little easier by throwing a couple different teams out there. But you gave one team on your list and expected Daryl Morey to just ship you off for peanuts. No, dude. Again, if you if you saw that there was any market for you, you wouldn't have signed or opted into your player option. So he knew that no one wanted him, and he still holds Daryl Morey responsible for finding him a trade partner right away. Like, come on, dude, you're being obtuse. I'm all for player empowerment, but like, you can't just like, like Dame Lillard was kind of doing it when he wanted to go to the heat where his agents are calling every other front office being like, don't trade for him. He won't show up. Like that's player empowerment gone wrong. 
Because you shouldn't be able to do that. Put your, Just put your team in a horrible position after you opted into the contract. And that's the part that I don't understand is where's the fourth, where's the fourth thinking in some of these players that, you know, you sign these big, huge contracts for umpteen years and now all of a sudden one to two years into the contract, you're ready to get traded. Like you said, I'm all, I'm also all for player empowerment. Get as much money as you can. Cause in some of these leagues, your money isn't guaranteed, especially in football, but you, why, why sign a contract if you don't see yourself with that team in the next three to five years or however long that contract is, because that's what that contract demands. And then when you ask for a trade, you think it's that easy for a team to not only trade away that, try to try to convince another team that your contract, it, it, it's worth paying you that money. Mm-hmm. That, not only that, but everybody has different salary cap implications, different salary cap problems or issues or strategies in which how they manage their cap. It's not, not easy to move these players. Also, not to mention, especially when you give a list of desired locations that are is one team long, because then no other team has any leverage to make an offer. Because in like the case, and listen, I know Dame Lillard did end up going to another team, but his agents calling front offices, being like, "Don't trade for him because he won't show up." Like that's that's completely wrong. And I mean, I guess they kind of called their bluff on that because the Bucks, you know, required him anyway. But I don't know. I'm just glad to see James Harden's stink loser cloud is gone because that's another, that's another thing let's talk about the clippers for a second because clipper the clippers moving forward this season are like not title favorites but like they're pretty high relatively on the list i don't know i think they're in the top five maybe even the top three i haven't checked in a little while but i know that they went up a good amount and yes the clippers have been playing very good to start the season but like have we not seen this before first of all Kawhi and paul george two good ball players i have no problems with either of them even though Kawhi leonard hit like the most emotionally damaging shot i've ever seen in anything ever i still don't like hate him or anything he's a fine guy but like they both get hurt every year it happens whether you like to admit it or not james harden also isn't the most healthy guy ever anymore and like as far as the playoffs go are we just going to pretend like everyone does this thing where it's like, oh, well, if James Harden just does it in the, these playoffs, how many years, his whole career basically, we're doing this whole, oh, if James just turns it on in the playoffs this year. he We saw last year that he's capable of turning it on in the playoffs because as people like to throw back in my face as a Harden hater, oh, he won us two games, like kind of single-handedly. Yeah, like, uh, yes, he did. I will not deny that. But two years in a row, two playoff exits in a row, I had to watch in the elimination game and the game before, James Harden quit, like flat out quit. Game six against the Heat last season, or two seasons ago in 2021 or 2022, he flat out quit in game six. And in game six and seven of the Celtics series, he quit. He didn't want the ball. Now people will again will say, oh, well, so did Joel Embiid. But that's a whole other story. You're not getting rid of the MVP or anything. And there's still a chance he can change. James Harden is who he is. He's never changing at this point, which is another funny thing that people for some reason believe. But, like, James Harden quits in the playoffs when it matters. Yes, he'll have a 45-point game to propel you to victory in game one in Boston, and you'll be like, holy shit, James Harden's awesome. And then five, six games later, you're watching game seven, the team's getting blown out, and James Harden looks like he wants he's ready to go home. It's frustrating. It's so frustrating to watch as a player. I'm glad we don't have to watch it anymore, but I don't understand this uh, hyped-up level that the Clippers are at right now. Like Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. Wow, that team would have been awesome in 2014, 2015. Like, great. They're a bunch of aging guys who can't stay on the court and like kind of have lost it in the terms of Russ and James. So don't understand that strategic uh standpoint of view like they're both four dominant ball handlers westbrook can't do what he needs to do without the ball in his hands james harden can't do what he needs to do without the ball in his hands paul george has now developed into a player who cannot do anything without the ball in his hands and Kawhi leonard has done the same damn thing dude speaking of which did you see ty lue said something about oh yeah we're gonna work out we're gonna work out some plays to get james moving off ball yeah good luck with that this is exactly what i'm talking about with people thinking for some reason he's gonna change at 35 years old james harden is not moving off the ball man what what did you watch last year on the sixers that would lead you to believe that james harden is going to move off ball 
again, and, and you could say, oh, well, maybe he'll change, you know, for the betterment of the team. You're talking about a guy in James Harden who leaked to the media that he wasn't happy with how much time he was – or how much the offense was running through him when the past year he let – he was the second – he had the second most time with the ball in his hands in the whole NBA. I used to say first. I was wrong. He's actually second in that stat. But that's still crazy. He was second in time with the ball in his hands and still leaked through media that he was mad the offense wasn't more directed around him. So we're talking about a guy who isn't going to change his ways, man. It's not who he is. No, and at the end of the day, I, what I, I thought was established when we did trade for James Harden was that Joel Embiid was the team and that everything was going to flow through Joel Embiid, regardless if you liked it or not. James Harden was just going to be a number two piece. And he, right. he, said all the, he said all the right things in the press conference, but as you just said and as we've said throughout this show, the past pretty much shows how James Harden is and that he's a selfish player. James Harden is about James Harden. He clearly doesn't believe any of that shit he's saying because he clearly still thinks he's the number one guy. I mean, even look at, like, I want to wrap this up just because I don't want to spend too much time on James Harden, but look at, we just talked about the quote he had. I'm not a system player. I am the system. Do you think that a player that says that is coming into this new team thinking like he's going to take a backseat to some of the other guys? No! That's a guy who thinks he's coming in to be the number one guy. He's going to come and take the number one guy spot off of Kawhi or Paul George. Like, how do you, James Harden can barely stand being a number two. How do you think he's going to be able to stand being a number three? Because that's what he is on this team. If everyone's healthy, it is Kawhi Leonard is your top guy, Paul George is your second guy, and James Harden is your third. Like, how is he going to react to that? He couldn't even, he couldn't even stand being a second guy without leaking shit to the media. And hell, he was a third guy during his time in Brooklyn as well. And how did that work out? Yeah, that ended terribly. So I, I, I don't know. I think this is going to personally end in disaster. What's most likely going to happen is Kawhi and Paul George, one of, if not both of them, will probably get hurt. And it's going to suck. I'm not rooting for that because like, I love when they're healthy. They're fun. I'm sure it would make the West Western playoffs more fun. But that's most likely what's going to happen. And James Harden will be relied on to like be the guy in the playoffs. And as we've seen for almost his entire career, he won't do it because that's not who he is. And then we get to tune into like the funness of like what kind of off season drama he causes, because at this point that's pretty much a guarantee. So I don't know, stay tuned for hard and watch, but as far as the Sixers as a team go, they've been fun from what I've been able to watch. I'm, I'm bought in right now. Like I still have no expectations. I'm just along for the ride. I'm happy watching the basketball when I get to watch it. And, like, the league doesn't look that – I mean, the Celtics look really good. The Bucks have opened the season, like, kind of very disappointingly. There's not that many great teams in the East. I mean, per, what do I think is going to happen this NBA season, personally, is I just think the Nuggets are going to repeat. I just – I don't know. I don't see anyone beating them. They look like world eaters, world beaters again. Like, Jokic is just that guy, unfortunately. And that team is continuity, which a lot of teams don't, and people undervalue how important that is. But that would be my pick. I don't know. The NBA season has been – predictable to start except for the fact that the Sixers are good I guess that isn't predictable because I thought they were going to be very bad but uh hey I'll take being wrong it's funny because I was also stamping my foot I was like yeah th- I'm not I'm not watching this movie again I refuse to watch this movie again about the fact that this, this team guy? is going to do so well during the course of the season and then we get to the playoffs we're going to get to the freaking second round and then something's going to happen and we don't get past the second round I was sick and tired yeah. of seeing this damn movie and Something told me the other day, and I believe it was the Blazers game, and I was like, you know what? Man, let me watch this Blazers game real quick. Is that off-ball movement? Wait a minute. Is that hustling? De- oh, shit. I've never seen these things before. What the hell is this? This is actually good shit. Are they rebounding? Oh, my God. Wait a minute. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Is Embiid? Embiid M- 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 had seven assists one night. I was like, oh, shit. I thought that quote in the offseason about how he's he said, you know, I don't think he was lying a little lying a little bit at the time. I thought he was lying completely where he was like, I never wanted to be this ISO guy. I want to move the ball. I kind of laughed at that when he said it. But like so far, it's kind of showed that he is willing to get better at passing and he looks a lot better. And that's going to be very, very important in the playoffs, Uh, because one of the things that's always kind of held them back a little bit has been his ability to pass on a double team. So if he can, if he's an improved passer, it'll be interesting to see that. But 
Tyler, the best way to watch the Sixers this year is exactly the way I'm watching them. And I said I was going to do this last year, and I folded. Last year, I got to about the midway point of the season, and I was like, this team ain't winning shit. They can't convince me they're winning shit. I'm not going to fall for it. And then going into the playoffs, I bought in, and I fell for it. This year, this team could be as fun as they want, and I'm going to enjoy watching it. I'm going to enjoy watching them win. But in the back of my mind, I know – that they are going to lose in the second round again, and they are not going to make the conference finals or make the finals or anything like that. I don't have those expectations. I'm just enjoying the ride as it goes, and I'm going to go wherever it takes me with the expectation of nothing except for the fact that they'll probably lose in the second round again. And guess what? This time it won't hurt me because I'm not going to do what I did last year and get to the end of the season and be like, nah, dude, fuck that. This team's winning. I know a couple of podcasts ago I put out a clip where I said, you know, you got to just buy in, believe in a team that doesn't deserve it, and just be a fan. That doesn't account for the Sixers when they've been doing this for almost 10 years. So, yeah, and that is actually what I'll wrap up the Sixers talk with. Daryl Morey did an interview on the Right Sturkey Sanchez podcast. He's been on there a couple times. Uh, but they interviewed him again post-Harden trade. And one of the main, like, things they talked about at the end there was uh, Mike Levin was arguing with Daryl because Daryl's point of view – on, like, the Sixers losing in the second round. He kept saying, like, I'm not focused on winning a second round series. I'm focused on winning the finals. And Mike was like, well, dude, they're, like, not – they're mutually exclusive. You can't do one without the other. And Daryl Murray was, like – they were talking about the Sixers. He was like, oh, so, like, are you all disappointed with the Sixers? Like, basically saying, like, you can't be disappointed that the Sixers don't win the championship every year because only one team does – where Mike was arguing from, like, the fan point of view, which I completely agree with him. Like, he was making the point the Sixers haven't beat a single good team in the playoffs. True. Joel Embiid 0-4 or 0-5 in his career in the playoffs against teams with 50 or more wins. You go back in the Sixers' playoff history the last couple years, like, they beat the very bad Brooklyn Nets two or three times. I think I want to say two. A very bad Toronto Raptors team. A very bad Washington Wizards team. Like, they've never beaten anyone good. I mean, then there was 2017 and 2020, I think, when we lost to the Celtics in the first rounds. They don't beat good teams in the playoffs, and I think that's something that fans should want. It's not a ridiculous thing to ask for. And saying, I'm not here to build a team to win a second-round series, I'm building a team to win the finals, it's like, bro, how tone-deaf can you be? Like, you have to win the second round to win the finals, and we can't do that. And as far as the whole, like, oh, you can't be disappointed because only one team's going to win the championship, it's like, bro, every year we go into the Sixers, except for this year, I guess, because now we're all beaten down. But, like, for the most part, we go in with all these high expectations. This could be the year. This could be the year. This could be the year. And they always fall short in spectacularly embarrassing fashion. And the difference between the Sixers doing that and, like, the Phillies last year is that the Phillies last year didn't have those expectations. They got in and they rode – a hot streak, and, you know, they didn't win, but, like, you can't be disappointed in that because the expectations were not that at all. You can be disappointed in the Sixers when the expectations are high and they fall flat on their face. So it was a good interview, and I do like that Daryl, like, goes on there because, from what I've heard, they they really just grill him in those interviews, and I respect that he has the balls to do it because a lot of GMs in sports or, you know, whatever his official title is, I don't think it's GM, but whatever, you know what I'm saying. Those guys don't have the balls to go and kind of face the music for some of the decisions they've made. So I respect that at least. But interesting interview. You should go listen to it. Yeah. So for me, I look at this Sixers season differently because I came in with no expectations. I think that's what makes it fun, ultimately, in my opinion. Because I don't have any expectations, because yeah. I'm just like, you know what, let's just see where it goes. I think that's how we felt pretty much last year, last um last year with the Eagles, is that you know what? We're going to go into this season. We're going to see how everything goes and how it goes, how it flows, flows. If we see some improvement, cool. We ended up going at least going to the Super Bowl last year. And I think that's what's going to make this season fun for us as Sixers fans is that we don't have any expectations anymore. Because to be honest with you, we think honestly that this team is just going to be a second round exit again. Right. But, they can't hurt us anymore. Right. And the But the beautiful part, and I think the part that kind of gives like – I guess the naive Sixer fan hope is that 
we're finally seeing something different that we haven't seen in this team in years. We just talked about it. Off-ball movement, defense, team rebounding, not just one player rebounding. The star on the star player on the basketball team increasing his average assist numbers this year. Ball movement. You know, the ball doesn't doesn't just necessarily stay in Embiid's hands. Embiid's making smarter decisions. And Maxi seems to have taken that full step to becoming like an all-star level player. I'm not saying he's like a superstar, but like Tyrese Maxey can be the second best player on a championship team. And Daryl even said it in the, the interview, like it, it becomes a lot easier now because, you know, maybe you make a move to the deadline, maybe you wait until the off season, but it's a lot easier to find a third best player in a championship team than it is a second best player on a championship team. So having the first and best player for the team is good because acquiring that third guy is easier than acquiring a second guy. And you have that second guy, Maxi, now it seems. So that's promising. Right. And there's a lot of promising things about this team that just like it encourages me. It, it really does. And you know what? I'm just going to let this season ride. And, and, you know, as we're recording this, the Sixers play the Celtics. We, this, that's going to be a good measuring stick about where this team is because the Celtics for the past several seasons have always given the Sixers problems. So oh, they do. They own, they own us. They absolutely own us. So this is an excellent measuring stick game to see exactly where this Sixers team is. Do they measure up? I'm not, I'm not saying this team is a championship team now. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I do, but I will say with the addition of Nick nurse and what he has basically you know, implemented into this team, whatever players that we get next year, because that's really the window, the biggest window that we're going to have going into, you know, the next season, I'm going to be very encouraged. I can tell you that right now. I'm already encouraged now. I mean, dude, I'll tell you what, we're talking about we have no expectations for this year. I agree. I'm glad I'm getting a year off because expectations will be back next year, in my opinion. Like next year, if any year is going to be the year, you know, 2019 probably should have been the year that fucking Kawhi shot. But if any other year is going to be the year, it's got to be next year, right? I mean, another season of Maxi taking a step forward, assuming he keeps up on the trajectory he's on this year, an all-star level player, a roster that is going to have a lot of money off the books going in next year, like the ability to add that third guy a little bit more depth. Like, if it's going to be any year, man, it should be next year. So... I'm glad, I'm glad that we're getting this break of expectations because they will be back in a, in a big way next year, in my opinion. Agreed. Uh, but, yeah, man, that's all we really got on the Sixers. It's been, like you said, it's been fun. I'm going to keep paying attention. We'll see when the first uh, bit of, like, a hiccup in the road comes because so far it's been nothing but smooth sailing. And, you know, the Sixers can't let you get away with that for too long. But uh, speaking of – uh, not so smooth sailing. Let's talk about the Eagles' Week Nine victory. I believe it was twenty-eight to twenty-three against the Cowboys. Right? Am I right on that correct score? Twenty-eight, twenty-three. Right. Uh, man, talk about a game that gave me some gray hairs and a huge headache at the end of it. Uh, the Sixers, uh, the Sixers, the Eagles win, which is the most important thing here. They moved to eight and one. They are the first team since the 2005 Colts to start back-to-back seasons 8-1 and one or better. Heard that on the Kelsey Brothers podcast today. But that is an impressive stat. They're the first team since 2005 to do that two straight seasons. That's awesome. And that's what's really important here. You know, ugly wins are wins. And especially a division rival. I mean, the Cowboys are the biggest division rival here. But, man, Ty, they couldn't make it easy, could they? Oh, no, absolutely not. I I had years taken off my life. You had gray hairs added to you. I already got those from the umpteen years that I had to suffer through. I, I Listen, I, I'm i not going to make it to an old age with this team, with the way they're, with the way they're going at this point. I, I, I'm Philadelphians don't die way younger with our professional sports teams. Oh, my God. Dear God in heaven. But I will say, not to defend this team, but division division games are weird. Except with the yeah, they are a couple of seasons, but div- look at the commanders. Yeah, the commanders games are always weird. Uh, Cowboys games are always weird. Giants, we pretty much <laughs> blow them out. They're like Ty. Is it now? Bad to say, one of the teams I fear a potential meeting with the most in the playoffs is the commanders. <laughs> like if the commanders made the playoffs and somehow ended up winning a game or something, and we had to play them. 
for some reason, that would actually make me nervous because of the way they play against us. Well, the commander, well, right now, the commanders are a little bit weakened since they decided to trade away their best pass rushers. So I wouldn't be too yeah, as much scared as them anymore. But everybody keeps saying, oh, we should have we should have destroyed the Cowboys. Look, it's a division game. If there's anybody, if there's anybody that you're going to compete with, that's going to compete with you, is your division rival. I don't care if that's the worst team in the NFL. That division rival knows you better than any other team in the NFL because they see you more often. And I mean, in in this case, you're talking about a, a division rival that is considered a top three team in your conference. It's not like we're talking about. We're not talking about a shitty team here. So anyone that thinks like, oh, you should have destroyed the Cowboys, it's like, bro, you're talking about a team that's a division rival and one of the better teams in the conference. Like, this is not – we said – I said going into this game last week that it was a measuring stick game for both teams because Eagles had looked a little wonky on their way to an 8-1 and one start or a 7-1 start, and the Cowboys had only played bad teams besides the Niners who blew their doors in. So I said it was a measuring stick team uh, game for both teams because – they're both playing against a good team, not for the first time, but just like we need to see where they're at. You know, can the Cowboys beat a good team? Will they lose to another good team? Can the Eagles put together an impressive win? Will it be another sloppy, ugly win? And my feelings on it are weird because it didn't feel that bad until the end when the Eagles like basically tried to give it away. I mean, Jalen Hurts had a good game. He still he scares me, man. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not trying to put this out into the universe, but. I'm I'm like I don't have fun watching Jalen Hurts play anymore because I'm so scared of him getting hurt. Like I just feel like we are currently waiting for the other shoe to drop with Jalen Hurts Jalen Hurts injury. I pray to every god that exists that I'm wrong. But like anytime he falls, I shit my pants. Watching him almost get hurt when uh, that D lineman on the Cowboys fell into his leg. I literally wanted to scream, like watching him hobble around at the end of the games and limp and wear a knee brace. It all scares the shit out of me. Look, I, I can't I can't watch this team in fear. And I refuse to. I refuse to watch Jalen Hurts in fear because at the end of the day, I know what comes with a player like Jalen Hurts. It's pretty much what came with Big Nat. Yeah. It's pretty much what came with Vic. I the likelihood of them playing 16, 17 games throughout the year, it, it's going to be very rare. It's going to be hard. It's going to give us heart attacks. It's going to worry us. But at the end of the day, that's who Jalen Hurts is. Jalen Hurts is a tough dude. But look, look at the encouraging part about that, though. With guys falling on his leg, Jalen Hurts not only got up and finished the drive, that man came back out and drove down the field. And I mean, was yeah. military-like. That's encouraging for me to see. From my quarterback to kind of sort of re-injure himself, come back out and reestablish that, yeah, I'm that dude. I'm him. I mean, we are we are very, very blessed with the player that he is. You know, the, the tenacity and the drive and the hunger that he has to be better every day. And I'm, I'm not necessarily watching the team in fear all the time, but he just makes me – not that he makes me nervous, just like like you just said, I know everything that comes with a running quarterback, you know, I've lived through I lived through Vic and you know, I I I somewhat remember McNabb. I was like eight years old in two thousand eight, so you know, I was around there. But uh I, I don't know. I hope that he I just hope I wanna see Jalen Hurts play a full season. I mean, he's making himself an MVP case at the end of this year. You know, the MVP race isn't that strong this year. It's a little weird. The quarterback play has been subpar. I mean it's like Jalen to a first of all, Sam Howell is number two in passing yards this year. Speaking of the commanders, which is hilarious. I mean, good good for him. I don't have any ill will towards him, but you know where the most most weird. of those yards were, were gained, though. Let's be honest. Against here. the Eagles. Which is something I I guess we can get into that a little later. But at the end of the day, look, Jay, I'm not worried about Jalen. Like I'm I'm not. And then now, you know, we we make it to the bye week and you know yeah, no, ma- no major injuries to none of the to mo- none of the main players that we don't need to get hurt. So I'm appreciative right. of that. The only one I'm worried about is Dallas Goddard. You know, he probably I think that he he has a fracture in his forearm. But listen, the the bye week. You're right though. We for, as far as the injury bug could go, it's hit us a little bit on defense. But like, 
we're 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 well off. You know, we're never gonna have a year like last year where we're just healthy all year, except for those couple games Jalen missed. So like we are blessed as far as we go. And the bye couldn't be coming at a better time, I think. I, Lane Johnson said the same thing. Like it just this team needs some rest, get some guys right, give Jalen a week to, you know, do what he's gotta do to that knee and get it get it as good as it can be. And, you know, we'll find out what happens with Dallas Goddard. But as far as like the injury stuff goes, we have been pretty lucky, but like you see weird things like in that game, like, you know, uh, Darius Slay and James Bradbury go down in the last drive. And let, let's talk a little bit about the cons of this game. First of all, I want to say the middle of the field is just, and we, we've been saying it for before the season started, like that's the biggest problem. Uh, the defense, the middle, the middle of the field specifically is, is tragic because that's where the Cowboys gain most of their yards. And they just tore that up on that last drive. It's, it's kind of terrible to watch the middle of the Eagles defense. Nicobe Dean is Nicobe Dean goes down with an injury, and I believe there was an update today. I forget exactly, but I'm pretty sure it's not good. And I mean, to be honest, to be honest, I like Nicobe Dean, and I was very excited we drafted him. And you know, it's a it's a low risk, high reward move taking that guy in the third after he falls. But I think we're starting to see why he fell. Yeah, unfortunately, um. I I think I read an article before I came in that um yeah they the team placed him on IR. To be honest yeah, with you, sucks. not saying that you know you hit no I, I never want to see a player get hurt or get injured. But a couple of things: one, when he was out the first time in the beginning of the season, Zach Cunningham and um Morrow did really well in terms of manning that middle of the field at the linebacker spot. It was almost like we didn't really skip a beat in terms of that. Now, yes, we we, we still need to learn how to uh, get better line, especially cover linebackers up in here to cover that middle of the field. But in, in, in terms of big plays being given up or big things, you know, I noticed missing, I didn't really miss too much with N'Kobe Dean being out. So right. And that also leads to the number two, which is a detriment to Nicobe Dean. I mean, you were drafted in the third round a couple of years ago, and you came out. The reason why you were even drafted in the third round in the first place was because you had injury issues. And now yeah. you're coming into the NFL. Those injury issues are starting to creep up again, and it seems like you're falling down in the depth chart, especially in terms of reliability. That's not a good thing for Nicobe Dean going forward. No, and it sucks because he does seem like a like a great locker room guy. Like he was a leader at, at Georgia and that great defense. Like you want to see a guy like him succeed. It just, uh, it just it, the injuries are holding him back, and his on the field play is up and down. It it just sucks. You know, you hope that maybe when he comes back, he'll be able to pull it together. But who knows at this point? It's just been all over the place. One of my biggest questions with the Eagles' defense right now, though, is the addition of Kevin Byard at the not at the deadline, but before the deadline, was was good. And, you know, we were all happy. Um, the play has not reflected that so far. And is it fair to say that maybe that's why the Titans were willing to ship him off? It's a good possibility. Um, I would chalk it up to more as we traded for a guy in the middle of the season and that, unfortunately, he's been forced in. He's really been forced to play as a result of the injuries in the secondary. So yeah. he really hasn't had time to gel with – you know, the team and, you know, learn the nuances of the defense. So right. I'm willing to at least with, um, withhold my judgment on that trade until after the bye week. Then I'll start. I, I, yeah. Then I'll start saying, seeing, okay, whether or not this, this trade was truly worth it or not. Cause I did also find it weird that they just gave, they just gave us like one of the best safeties uh, in the NFL for, a horrible safety in a in a couple of late round draft picks. Like I thought that was kind of weird. Yeah. But like I said, I'm willing to withhold my judgment until after the bye. See how this yeah, I, defense gels a little bit more. I, I I agree. I think I I I think it's a fair question to ask, but I would wait another couple of weeks till we can really see when he's more acclimated to the team. I don't think it's fair to like say the trade was a failure yet it's a fair question but let's wait a little bit longer before we make grandiose statements like that but real quick before we even finish some of this game you're talking about the titans and they just gave up people 
I, I just want to again bring to people's attention. Like, I can't overstate how did the fuck did we end up getting AJ Brown? Like, they really just gave they gave him up for nothing, man. Like, they am so I my dad is a very big Eagles fan as well, and he has always slanted towards hating Howie Roseman because of the Justin Jefferson thing. My dad, big Justin Jefferson fan, loved him in college, still loves him now, and he always talks about how even when the Eagles are great, and we, you know, last year we're going on, you know, we're hoping to win the Super Bowl. My dad's still bringing up Justin Jefferson, and I think at this point it's confident. I can confidently say AJ Brown or Justin Jefferson is not that much better than AJ Brown. I, Justin Jefferson is the best wide receiver in the NFL, probably. It's like him or Tyree Kill. But, like, A.J. Brown is not far off from them. And I tried to make it out to my – clear to my – I tried to make it clear to my dad, like, think about it this way. I would, act, I would much prefer to have A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith than to just have Justin Jefferson. I think that's fair to say. Oh, yes, absolutely. You're talking about a guy who's a top five, top three wide receiver in the whole NFL and another guy who is, like – in the top 15, the top 20, but that's only because of a lack of uh, targets maybe. Like, you have two of the best receivers in the NFL. I'd rather that than the one guy who probably is the best. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When you look back at that trade and how everything went down, how everything transpired, I mean, us missing out on Justin Jefferson, yeah, it hurt. It, it, it definitely hurt because I, I can't fucking st- – I, I try to tell this is what you do. Every single everyone out there, if you're listening to this and you still get hurt over not drafting Justin Jefferson and being like that draft was disgusting, think about the fact that in the second round of that draft we got our franchise quarterback. That's that, that's all you have to do, man. Anytime you think about Justin Jefferson and how we fucked up, just remember that we got our franchise quarterback in the next round, and you'll maybe be a little happier. But anyway, the Titans. Thanks for giving us AJ Brown. Every single time I watch him go out there, and even he had a hundred. What do you have? Sixty-six yards, and I believe he had a touchdown in this game. Like, and that's considered a that's considered a down day for AJ Brown because before that he was on a streak of six games with one hundred twenty-five yards or more. So, literally set a record, an NFL yeah. record. Thank you, Tennessee. But other cons were at the end of the game, the play calling was really weird in those last couple drives. The Eagles could not score to put the game away. They kept giving the Cowboys life. You had that one third down where it's like third and six or third and five or something like that. And the Eagles, everyone's pretty much expecting a run because, you know, run it and then just tush push it. You get close enough. Instead, I don't know if it was written up this way or if Jalen just threw it, but he throws like a a fade to AJ Brown that soars out of bounds. And it's like, what are we doing here, man? Like, why not do what everyone expected you to do? And I know, oh, you maybe the defense expected it, but like run the ball, get three yards, get it to like fourth and one, and then just fucking push it. And on that point, like Greg Olson even also said anything on the commentary. He was like, why would you go for that play on third down? That was a play you needed to go for on second down. You don't go for a play like that on third. You need to keep that clock running and try to gain some yards on the ground. At least put yourself in a in a better position to think, at least think about you know, going for a first down on fourth down. That's the thing sometimes where, okay, so I gave Brian Johnson his flowers this week um, on a couple of podcasts. I'll admit I have because I've been very critical of him. But it's the end of the game shit that scares the hell out of me when it comes to him. Like it's the the common sense things for me. That it's like, okay, why are you not doing this? Why are you? Why are we not running the ball out? Like I still go back to the Patriots game, where it was the fourth quarter. And I think it was within five minutes left of the game, and instead of us running with DeAndre Swift, which only, which he only had two rushes in that game, we're still passing the ball, and then the fumble, which you called out of an empty back set. On a quarterback draw, that was the dumbest play call I've ever seen. I, I don't know why our call, our play calls towards the end of games are so fucking stupid. I need to know what went wrong on that AJ uh, uh, Swift fumble. I, I I simply have to know because that dude. I I don't think we can laugh about it, and I feel like we got over it pretty quickly because the Eagles recovered. Shout out to Tyler Steen in his first start of the year. Looked a little rough at first, but I thought he had a 
he pulled it together towards the end there, and he made the biggest fucking play of the game in recovering that fumble. We can laugh about it and everything, and I feel like we did because we got it and it moved on quick. That had the potential to be one of the worst plays in the last long while for the Eagles, honestly. And then, like, why why fancy up the run? Just run it up the gut. Run a simple know. inside zone. Why the hell are we pulling people? The run game is is being is is weird. I, I hear people out when they say, "Oh, well, they just don't want to use up Swift because he's injury prone and everything." And I get Kenny Gainwell had a touchdown in this game, but like, dude, just give me the lead back, please. Just fucking run Swift. Yes. Like it's I'm it's tired com- of getting cute with it. It's common sense sometimes with football and. I feel like at times coaches coaches lose games when instead of doing the cut right, instead of doing the common sense thing, they overthink it. And for me, that's the most frustrating part. There was no need to have AJ Brown pull anything, have anybody pull shit. It's the end of the game. The only thing we need to do is milk clock, run the damn ball. Let's get the hell out of here. That fumble took about 20 years off my life. Because it was undamn necessary. Absolutely. And like I said, man, that had the potential to be an all-time Eagles fuck-up there. Like, if that doesn't get recovered and we lose the game there, that's that's a hard pill to swallow. A hard pill to swallow. Because, <laughs> I mean, thankfully they they went out there and they win the game on a la- – you know, shout-out to Josh Sweat, man. Coming up big with that sack on that last drive when the Cowboys got in the red zone. Even though he should have got his ass back to the line of scrimmage instead of taunting, but that's neither here nor there. That in the f- yeah, no, exactly. Oh, how could we? How, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Dak Prescott also stepping out of bounds on that two point conversion that essentially would have tied. That essentially ties the game because if everything goes the way it went, except for Dak gets that two point conversion, the Cowboys are able to kick a field goal at the end of the game there and send it to overtime. So. We, you know, luck is needed in sports, you know, every now and then. But, like, the Eagles, they got lucky, man. They got lucky. I don't know how Steen got on that ball. I don't know how Dak Prescott stepped out of bounds. They, let's call it what it is. A win is a win, and I am not going to apologize for being 8-1. But they they were lucky in this game. There was a lot of mistakes they made that, that should have costed them the game. It didn't, and we're lucky. And we go into the bye, and they hope they clean it up. But they got lucky. Very lucky. And... Going through this gauntlet of a schedule now, you're going to need more than luck. All right. This is not, we are in the heat of the season. There is no time to start getting by on lucky wins because luck is only going to get us but so far. Our skill is what, honestly, our skill is pro, our skill players and being as talented as we are is probably the reason why the Eagles are 8 and 1 at this point. I mean, you, yeah, like you said, you can't start going off of luck and relying on luck because, you know, if you include – after this game, you know, we have the bye week, but then our next games are the Chiefs, the Bills, the Niners, and the Cowboys again. And, I mean, the Seahawks aren't really that great, but they're in there also at the end. But, like, the Chiefs, Bills, Niners, Cowboys is a crazy run, and they are going to need to rely on a lot more than luck to win those games. And Honestly, at the end of the day, like, I just hope that they go – hundred in that stretch because there's gonna be I mean, listen am i aiming low with that maybe but i think i'm being realistic like I, I feel like they dropped the dallas game in dallas and then i don't know i feel like they lose one of the games to the chiefs bills or niners i don't know which one yet we'll see how i feel when those weeks come up but like as long as they go two and two in that stretch i'll be fine you don't want to find yourself going one and three uh, i mean if they can go three and one shit i'd be the happiest guy on the planet but We'll, we'll see how that goes, but you can't start relying on luck to get you through because you're hitting the hardest stretch of the season right now. Yep, and like you said, like for me, I'll take the basement of two and two, but ideally with everything, with how tight everything is in the NFC Conference and the Lions breathing down your neck, and you know you do have some distance from the Cowboys, but you don't want to start taking that for granted. Ideally, you need to go at least three and one during this stretch, to be honest with you. Two and two I mean, is the yeah. basement. I, I probably am being a little like, uh, you know, too down and being giving a little more in than I should. Like I should expect more. But I, you know what? Then again, sometimes I feel like I just forget how good the Eagles really are. They are 
best team in the NFL, which that is kind of the transition I want to use into ESPN put out, uh, oh, I guess like a power rankings yesterday. And I'm trying to find the exact rankings that they had, but it was like, I know the chiefs were chiefs were number one. And it was like the, they had the bills, the Ravens, the Cowboys and the Niners all ranked above all ranked above the Eagles? I mean, what are, what are we doing here? Here we go. Yep. They had the Eagles at number seven. Yep. Chiefs, Ravens, Bills, Niners, Dolphins, Cowboys, Eagles. So, okay, let's go through this. The Chiefs, I get it. Reigning Super Bowl champions. Uh, you, I get them being a number one. Whatever. I, I understand, even though I think we might be a better team because they have not also looked that great. Uh, the Ravens. Um, the Ravens have looked good. I think we're better, but... I won't put up a stink about that. The Bills. The Bills are five and four. I think, right? Am I correct? Another five and four. They haven't looked impressive really at all, except for the Dolphins game, but whatever. We also beat the Dolphins. So don't get how they're at three. The Niners, also five and four, uh, have a very mid quarterback and have not looked very good the last couple weeks. I don't understand how they're there. The Dolphins, we literally beat them. And their defense is horrendous. And the Cowboys, we just beat them. What are what are we doing having the Eagles behind all these teams they either beat or are just flat out better than? This is why I don't I don't this is why I don't get into ESPN or anybody else's power rankings. I don't give a shit. Because yeah, at the end um, of the day, all right, we have a better record than the Bills. We have a better record than the 49ers. I say the only two teams that you got ahead of us that are on that damn list or that are at least on same par with us are the Ravens and the Chiefs. And that's freaking it. And even then, the Chiefs should probably be a little bit lower because of their record. The yeah, only team the that Chiefs, they should be tied, at least tied with is the Ravens. The Chiefs haven't looked impressive. I mean, they just had a game last week where they scored 14 points offensively in the first half, and that was it for the whole game. Their offense has not looked like the Kansas City Chiefs offense that we're necessarily used to. It just flat out has not. And the Ravens have looked shaky here and there too. We have the best record in football, and I feel like we're not getting our respect here. But like you said, who cares? Fuck ESPN. If they want to think that dumb shit, we'll just show them why that's not true. Uh, We are running low. We're pretty much out of time here. The last thing I want to say before we get out of here is a little college football because we never talk it when they're here. So this is my my shit to get off. Uh, First college football thing. Uh, Caleb Williams crying after the game against Washington has for some reason become like a big point of contention on Twitter. Um, I remember seeing a lot of college football fans on Twitter uh, throughout the season tell people that, oh, Caleb Williams doesn't care. He's clearly moved on to the NFL. He doesn't care. And then when he shows he cares a lot, he's getting clowned for it. So don't understand that at all. And I'm not even like the biggest like Caleb Williams stan. I just don't understand how one second it's he doesn't care at all. He's moved on to the NFL. Then when he shows an outburst of emotion because he wanted to win a game so bad, suddenly he gets clowned for that as well. It's like, well, do you want him to care? Or do you not want him to care? I, I don't really understand what you want. Uh, yeah, if you want to add anything on that, Ty, I don't know how you feel. I mean, that's pretty much the life of a future number one overall pick. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna pick apart everything that you do. Unfortunately, that comes with the territory. So, and if my offense was averaging like forty five points, but my defense kept giving up 50, I'd fucking cry too. I, I would cry too, man, because, I mean, they did just fire their defensive coordinator, which is good, and that's awesome, but we'll see what goes on from there. I mean, Caleb Williams is number one pick, so. Uh, point number two on college football. Deion Sanders, I thought him throwing his offensive coordinator under the bus and, like, firing him for Pat Shermer, odd. I thought that whole situation was weird. I know our first, you know, me and you podcast where we talked about college football, we talked about how much we were happy for Colorado and like, that's awesome. And like, yeah, I'm still happy for them. And I still hold all the same points that, that like, it's still a successful season no matter what, but I don't understand why coach prime threw his offensive coordinator under the bus when he wasn't the problem for like most of the year. It was defense pretty much. Um, I think coach prime has pretty much been doing that, you know, throughout the entire season. He's not afraid of going into the media and pointing the blame where it needs to be. And I, I, but I just didn't think it belonged on the offensive coordinator, really. Not only that, but I, I've always said this, and I think um, we talked about this the last time. It was just me and you. 
it's going to take some years for this team to be that, you know, top five power ranking team that, you know, that Colorado, that he expects Colorado to be. Like, they're going to need – go ahead. I was going to say, this is the way I look at it is, like, they have all the shiny parts, the toys. You know, they got the Shador Sanders and the Travis Hunter. So, like, the, on the outside, they look like a nice sports car. But, you know, what really drives a team is defense and the trenches. And that is not built up yet. So they're a nice, pretty car on the outside that has a bad engine or no engine right now, in my opinion. And, and they have to go out and they have to purchase those pieces for that engine in order right. for it to be at its full potential. And right now, the car is not at its full potential. And that's okay. That's perfectly yeah, fine. So their over-under was like three wins this year. So they, they outperformed wildly. I just And I like Coach Prime. I just thought it was a bit of a weird move for him to throw the other coach under the bus. And last but not least for college football, uh, Michigan, uh, I mean, this whole situation is absolutely hilarious uh, with the guy who was going to – the staffer of Michigan who was going to other games and fucking recording their signals and stealing them from Michigan. And now there's a whole you know debate on whether Michigan's going to get punished or not. Personally, I don't see how you don't punish Michigan in some way, shape, or form, whether that's firing Har- – got whether that's suspending Harbaugh or whatever else that might entail. But you can't set the president that this is allowed. And you'll see a lot of college football fans being like, oh, I guarantee you every team's doing this. That's fine. But when you get caught, you got to get punished. Or, or else what, what's the point of hiding it then? You know what I mean? Like, oh, everyone shoplifts from Walmart. I just happened to get caught. Why are you punishing me? Well, you got caught, man. You know, like you got caught and there's other people didn't get caught. If we let you go, then again, I guess stealing from Walmart just becomes allowed. Like, Don't be surprised so, uh, if Harbaugh jumps to the NFL now because I've heard rumors about that too. Already going to the NFL, personally, I I think this is just the nail in that coffin because who knows what's going to happen. But Michigan plays Penn State this week. It's the first week you know they haven't had this Connor Stallions guy on the staff. So it would be very funny if Michigan. Not that I think this is going to happen, but if like Penn State just smoked Michigan, some and it's like, oh wow, they really did need the cheat to win. That would be kind of funny. More likely, what's going to happen is Penn State will lose because their offense has looked incredibly mid ever since that. Ohio State game. It's been tragic, but yeah, that was the college football uh, two minutes with Vincent Ty here. You know, enjoy it because when Pat and Seamus are here, they don't give a fuck about college sports. So I'm here to bring you that. But uh, all right, all in all, thank you guys for listening. Uh, another episode of the Vincent Ty Show here. Uh, the best, you know, subgenre from the nosebleeds, apparently. <laughs> uh, but I just appreciate you guys listening and uh, Seamus and Pat. Love you guys. If you guys are listening, you better be. You fucking better at least be listening. I'll see you guys next week. And, uh, you know, go Birds. It's an off week. It's a bye week. We're going to have to figure out what to do with our Sunday this week. But uh, I'm sure we'll figure something out. Go Birds. Go Sixers. And I will talk to you guys next week, hopefully with my co-host. Ty, thanks for, thanks for the support today. All right. Catch you guys next week. Peace out.